Hi, I'm Patrick John Fluger, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. going to be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's going to be a hell of a ride. Happy One Chicago Day, Shyhards. Hey-o. Hey-o. Yes. Uh, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through One Chicago Day 2021. Congratulations Woo-hoo. to you. Yes. So what exciting. A, what a day. What a day. What a day. What a day. Um, content galore. We had the one hour YouTube at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central. That was amazing. And then we just got three fantastic episodes. Yeah. And just all, I'm sure all kinds of other interviews from everyone who posting. It's just so good. So good. Such a good day. Hashtag blessed. Today is a good day to be a one Chicago fan. It really is though. I mean, it would be a little bit better if we could have this in person, but yes, it's otherwise the best day of the pandemic so far for sure oh my god that means we can talk about our interviews now i yeah we can't actually talk about it (laughs) you guys this is the hardest part of it for us is when we do something awesome and so exciting and we can't tell you for like a week or two no but this has been like three weeks ago something like that we recorded this on like january 20 something it was the 22nd so second yeah yeah, it's been three and a half, three and a half weeks. Holy crap. So you guys have seen our interviews. You've seen the other outlets. I mean, there's a ton of stuff going on now. We're recording this in the past. Um, we're recording this 24 hours previous to now. Um, so we can't really detail everything that you've seen from the other outlets because we haven't seen it. But we can talk about what we did. Um, yeah. <laughs> we had so much fun. It was just such a fun like two hours bouncing in and out of zoom rooms it was really fun I mean it was definitely different than obviously a normal one Chicago day um but still so 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 fun so much fun um yeah it was just it, I mean there's really no other way to describe it other than it was a lot of fun yeah and yeah. I, I definitely had a lot of pinch me moments where I was just sitting there like I'm zooming right now with Matt Casey like the fuck is my life yeah I was <laughs> like what in the world but it was really fun it was it was a lot a lot of fun so um you probably are wondering like why were their videos so short why didn't they get to certain questions we were on a big time constraint every outlet was um so you know the the pd video we have it's only you know it's six minutes but it does cut off at like when patty's like mid-sentence but that's because he got cut off for time yeah and i mean like we were kind of lucky we in some of them we got a little more time because it was two of us together and we asked if we could go together because obviously why not yeah Yeah, obviously um but otherwise like you only got like two or three minutes um and they were very strict about making sure you got cut off so yeah and uh, we were bummed on the pd one because i mean amy was in on that interview too and our third question was an amy question but we got cut off for time and patty literally had set it up perfectly and it was like ah and then yeah so yeah uh, another takeaway from the day was just how good all of the one Chicago men looked. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always forget that Jesse Spencer has like severite eye level eyes. Well, especially in that window or wherever he was sitting, just the light that was shining through. I and mean, that blue shirt, it just made his eyes yeah, pop. Yeah. Also, should we tell him about how, when we got into the breakout room where with Taylor and Miranda and that how like Taylor was like MIA at first for a hot second and then he came on 
and he the way he had his like phone or whatever he was using angled it was like down below and so then he had his like shirt open at the top and like it was just like whoa what in the world is happening here but it was really fun it was so much fun yeah we had a blast and um yeah I mean one Chicago day is just it's a great day and I just love 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 that our shows do this yeah it's just exciting and it's just fun and it's fun to hear the other questions from the other outlets and you know who's picking up on what I'm glad we got to sit in on um I mean obviously it was breakout room so it was only with us it was only other two other outlets but it was still fun to hear their different takes on things and it was it was really fun yeah so we've we've tried to retweet the content from the two other outlets that were with us today um and the two other outlets that were with us so evan moore is a reporter from the chicago sun times um he was in there with us and nikia nichelle was also in there um and nikia runs i think it's chicago now think so she's a local Chicago reporter you guys probably know who we're talking about but she was in the room with us as well and so um you know we've tried to definitely fill in the gaps there and, and fill in with their content as well but we I mean we had a blast there there's we can yeah. we're gonna say it a hundred more times tonight but like I guess we had the, a blast the only thing I'll say is here's to 2022 or even maybe later 2021 next seasons mm-hmm. one Chicago day I'll just put it that way next seasons one Chicago day whenever it may be being back in Chicago in person. Yes, please. I miss Chicago so much. I do too. I I really do too. Especially like doing this and like going through all this content again. I was like, wow, I really do miss one Chicago day. Yeah. Yeah. My I don't are- miss the rundown nature of every time we've been in Chicago because they're always just like hectic trips and crazy and long days, but I do miss Chicago. Okay. But let's be real though. We're already at that point, even though it's been virtual. I know. <laughs> I know. Especially with this um doing this episode early and yeah, yeah but it's it's good tired yes the best tired it really is the best tired it, it it's like you know finish the long workout tired but you're you're just like oh, i'm exhausted but like that felt good yeah literally me right now because i did just finish a workout so right. yes literally me right now right right so um in case you don't know we're gonna cover the episodes that you just watched i mean yeah i mean as much as we love you guys and we would love to just jump on and chat we know that you don't want to just like listen to us ramble for like two hours but you know we have a plan if you want to hear more about one chicago day i guess just hit us up because we would ramble about that for forever we will talk about it as much as you want to hear us talk about it like we just we had a blast there's really (laughs) we had a blast we had a lot of fun um so before we get into the episodes we do have a little bit of news um we have episode descriptions for next week because we're getting new episodes next week that's four weeks in a row of one chicago i know hashtag blessed literally hashtag blessed oh man so we have the episode descriptions for episode seven uh, Med 607 is called Better is the Enemy of Good. Will runs into trouble when one of his child patients falls ill. His own stress and symptoms have Ethan struggling to get through the day. All right. What an episode. <laughs> I swear that was just the description for six. <laughs> no, that's seventh description. But yeah, what an episode. Oh, man. Oh, man. And I-, I love how it starts with Will gets into trouble and we're like, and? And Ethan is falling, you know, struggling to get through the day with his stress. And, all right. And, yeah. So I guess this Will and Ethan thing is going to, it's going to be a thing, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I don't, yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Mm. Take us through fire. So fire 907 is called dead of winter. Um, A fire at a homeless encampment leaves Severide and Casey searching for answers. Cruz is shaken up after a close call. 
Ritter lends a helping hand to a victim. Ritter. Hey, I know. Finally getting a Ritter storyline. It's been a little hot second, but why are we shaking Cruz up? Can we not? Can we just leave him still? Like, just not even shaken, not even stirred. Just leave right. him alone. He's gonna be a dad. Like, can we not? Just leave him alone. Let him, let him chill. <laughs> let him do the nesting. Let him like sit at 51 and like plan everything. Yeah. Leave him um, alone. Also, love seeing Severide and Casey team up together. Always good episodes. Always a good episode. Always, always. By now, you've probably seen the bit from One Chicago Day that um, Nikia had about the story that, uh, you know, Taylor's been like, Jesse got a bunch of meat from a friend and he ran out of room in his freezer. And so, so Taylor's random. been storing it. So random, but also like, these are the tidbits that I love. Yeah. Yeah. But also like if some random person like found some tidbit about me and my best friend, they'd be like, oh, that's funny. I'd be like, you're weird. <laughs> yeah, true. true. I'm so glad we can finally share all these things with everybody. I know, same. It's been too long. It's been so long. Oh man. Three weeks in one Chicago time is like a year. But actually, though, especially these past three weeks, because we've actually been recording regularly because we've had new episodes. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag <sighs> blessed indeed. PD807 is called Instinct. After a series of deadly ambushes, the team goes undercover to bring down a dangerous new drug dealer who is determined to push out the competition. Ruzik's informant proves to be a loose cannon that could upset the whole operation. We're getting a Ruzik episode. How long is it going to take, though, till we get another Atwater episode? Right. You are correct. That, yes. Yeah. It became glaringly obvious to me tonight. I don't know why. Like, it just, yes. I was like, so this was six, and obviously next week, seven. We haven't had an Atwater episode since two. They've literally not mentioned it at all. I was like, yep. this is not good. Not good. Not good. Nope. Not good. No. Step it up, please. Mm-hmm okay it's all the news we've got for today um it's one chicago day i mean you guys have had a ton of news today aren't you newsed out by now yeah we just <laughs> gave you like all these interviews so really you should be reading these descriptions and be like more information oh my god <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah you guys know the drill if you see any news please send it to us you guys are really good about that and we really appreciate it it's a team effort i mean it's a big old team you guys know the drill so mm -hmm. all right shall we move into the episodes yes let's do it Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll start with med. I think this med was a big step up from last week. I didn't want to throw shit. Did you? No, not at all. It's a good start. It's a good start. Good start. Okay. So we're going to start with April and Ethan. Uh, and don't worry, you know, Ethan kind of will like escape our, our wrath this week. So I don't want you guys to worry about that. Okay. So we start off and Doris and April are at the coffee cart. They're getting coffee and they see Ethan working on his computer. Um, Doris is still working on her Italian. That's funny. And she trashes him for firing Noah. And April's like, dude, quit. No. So April stops by to talk to Ethan and Ethan kind of blows her off. He's just like, I'm busy. And so April just looks at him and is like, you're your own worst enemy, Ethan. Which I mean, I, that's not wrong. And that's not me hating on Ethan. That's not wrong. Yeah, no, definitely not wrong. Um, but like he does not look good in this scene. Like he, he hasn't looks slept. like yeah, he looks hella stressed. Um, he's like mainlining coffee, and I know for me, after like two glasses, I get like super jittery and like nauseous. So I can only like imagine how he's feeling. He might as well have just had it in an IV in his arm. Like that—that that sounds good though. Like when you say that to a coffee addict, we're just like, and go on, tell us more. 
I mean, at this point, yeah, that's basically what he was doing. But he should have just had the IV going in his arm with coffee. Brenda doesn't drink coffee, you guys. No, I hate it. So sad. I mean, I grew up in a household that, like, didn't even own a coffee maker. Oh, my God. We don't drink coffee in this house. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Note for next time I'm in Virginia, when we're able to travel, if that mythical day ever happens. Yeah. It, when it happens. When. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Every time we're in Chicago together or Austin together in the mornings, because we all, we established last week that like Gina doesn't like mornings. Um, the first thing we do anytime, like Brenda's like ready to go. I'm like coffee. Literally, literally yeah, you're always just like coffee. First we do the coffee, then we do the things. <laughs> then we do the things. Then if, even the if things. it requires an extra five minute wake up, you know, earlier then it's worth it for coffee. Doesn't bother me. Yeah. It does not bother me. Okay, so April and Ethan get their patient, and it's a guy who passed out. Um, he's got a lot going on here. So he passed out, and his wife is just, like, really worried about him, and she's like, this has been going on. He's got these constant headaches, and they stem from this root canal that he had, like, a year ago. And the husband's kind of a dick, but, like, he's also in a lot of pain. Um but he's saying, he's like, we're wasting our time by being here. You're just going to tell me everything's normal. Like the doctor said, it's migraines or anxiety, but nothing ever changes. Like, I don't even know why the hell we're here. Um, and so he's a dick to Ethan, but Ethan just is like, he stays the course. It's, it's good. Ethan's, Ethan just doesn't let him get to him. And he just keeps looking. And even when the guy is like particularly nasty, like he says something really mean to his wife, um, and like he yells at Ethan too. And Ethan's just like, let me just keep looking. Let me just keep looking. Um, eventually the guy is in just like excruciating pain to the point he's like jammed up. Like he can't even move. He's in so much pain. And Ethan loops in Dr. Abrams, the neuro, uh, the neurologist. And it's this condition where there's like an artery in the brain that is like positioned right up next to this nerve. And every time the artery pulses, it wears down the lining of the nerve to the point that it's just quite literally like the, the, the artery is on like the bare nerve itself. So that's why every single time it fires, it's excruciating. That sounds like the worst condition ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, no. It's, it's, I, I can't, it's try something myalgia. I'm gonna like, yeah, trigeminal neuralgia. Hey, go Gina. Good ghoul. How do you, I don't even are you sure you shouldn't have been a doctor in a past life? That's like double the debt. I'm already in so much debt from law school. Like, no. I'm just saying, like, you seem very into that. Like, I don't know. I'm not into it. It's just that I have a good memory that holds on to useless facts. Five years from now, I'm going to remember the time that Taylor had to store 30 pounds of Jesse's meat in his freezer. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. You just always remember this medical knowledge. And I'm like, I'm the one who's the daughter of a surgeon. And I'm like, what? Huh? I remember the most useless shit. And this is something that my friends call Gina memory. They specifically call it Gina memory. I can tell you like the exact date of the very first soccer game that I went to. You guys know I support the local soccer team here. Um, I can tell you the exact date, who we played and what we scored. Like, it's just my brain. It just remembers really useless shit. You see, I only remember stuff like that if it has, if it pertains to things I'm like interested about, right? Like fandoms or whatever, but not that. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's nothing like 
I, I just, I'm not like Mary Lou Henner level. Like if you've ever read or, or talked about Mary Lou Henner in any way, shape or form, she has this ridiculous memory and it's common knowledge. I'm not just bringing that up because of that night at no, ATX. I know, I know, but every time you, somebody brings up Mary Lou Henner, I just like, oh yeah, that night. What a That's night. a story for another day, the Mary Lou Henner story, but her memory is unbelievable. And we've seen it firsthand. <laughs> Literally um, seen it firsthand. It's not Mary Lou Henner lover where I can be like, that was this day of the week and it was this temperature outside. No, but like, hey, Gina, the first professional soccer game you ever went to, like what day was that? And who did you play? I can tell you it was April 24th, 2004. And we played Kansas City and won one nothing. Like, see, I couldn't tell you the score of the first basketball game I went to, but I can tell you what day it was, what year, who we played, and that we lost. I just I just have a weird memory. Now, granted, you put me into a pub quiz situation or something, and it's like something like supernatural trivia, and it's like some random ass detail. No, I'm out. I can't remember it. Have, okay, you make no sense to me. I know I don't make any sense. <laughs> like, how do you... Okay, I'm not even going to go. That's a different conversation for, like, later. But... You guys, my poor boyfriend has been with me four and a half years, and he has to deal with this. Like... <laughs> shit yeah I just I have a lot of questions but I'll I think I would later. really I, I don't think I'd be as good at one, one Chicago trivia as I think I would be I don't know if I would either <laughs> I know I'm afraid to like ever challenge someone to it because it's gonna be some random ass question and I'm gonna be like oh fuck yeah no I had a one of our family friends or whatever was in our office today and he and his wife have like kind of slowly been watching or whatever and he was like yeah we've been watching the medical one and last night an episode was on that you know blah, blah are we watching an episode about blah, blah 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 and I was like yeah that episode I literally had no idea which one he was talking about but I was like yeah that one memory is a weird thing man yeah it really is though we should tell the Mary Lou Henner story in a bonus episode sometime definitely you guys, we could have listened to her talk all night. Definitely a bonus episode. And it was like a lucky situation where we just happened to be at the same table as her. But like the stories were unbelievable. We were just like, wow, this woman's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so they figure out what's wrong with this guy. It's trigeminal neuralgia. And Sam explains the surgery that they've got to like drill a hole in this guy's head. And then they stick a piece of Teflon in there and like, it's very heavily involved stuff. It sounds not fun at all, but they do the surgery. The guy wakes up, he wakes up from surgery and he's like, nothing hurts anymore, which means that he's on some badass pain meds. Cause like, I don't think anybody <laughs> wakes up from surgery and is like, I'm not in pain. No, very, very rarely. No, no. Um, but yeah, they, they, they fixed the problem, which was like, damn, damn. <laughs> Uh, so at the end, April talks to Ethan, like they're about to, you know, kind of go their separate ways. And April's like, listen, the whole thing about Noah, I get it. Like, it's not easy to be in charge. I understand you made a tough decision. I was a little surprised at that reaction. What about you? I was definitely surprised. I did not see that coming. I'm not saying it's a bad reaction. I'm just surprised that April came to that acceptance that quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if honestly part of it, though, is because she saw Ethan struggling this whole, you know, this whole episode, not necessarily about that, but, you know, just the stress of the job and everything, mm -hmm. and knew that if she said that to him, it would take a weight off his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So, because, yeah, like the whole episode, it's obvious. Ethan is not sleeping. He's like not eating. He's just full steam ahead on work. So, oh, maybe the Noah decision was really bothering him. 
I mean, I don't know if it was specifically that, but like, I wonder if by her saying that it allowed him to, you know, just take like a, okay. Like, yeah. 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 So if anything, I guess this really shows that like, they still, they, they're still connected. They still really know each other well. Yeah. But it did like, I don't know when I saw that they were working together again, I was like, Oh, like I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, it was a nice episode. And I do think Gina and I were talking about this a little bit before we got on to record. Like, I think this was Ethan's best episode this um, season so far. Yeah. That word, that, that thing. Um, I just, I feel like every time I watch though, like every time I watch April and Ethan together, I'm just like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so elaborate on this a little bit more. Cause I, I mean, I just kind of found this as like an okay episode for Ethan. I was like, okay, cool. He solved the problem. Like good for Ethan. I, I wasn't like, this is his best performance of the season, but like, what, go on a little bit more about why I you, guess, why you feel that way. I guess the reason I say this is the best one, not, not his best one as in like Brian T's best one, but like Ethan's best episode so far is that because like, I didn't feel like I wanted to throw shit or I didn't feel like Ethan was doing anything wrong. Like, I just felt like it was like, oh, Ethan's being the normal. Yes, he's stressed out a little bit and like, you know, may have a reaction here or there. But like, it just felt like Ethan of past, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, a more stressed out version, but Ethan of the past. And I mean, I'll tell you, if I if I'm in that much pain from headaches, I'm definitely going to want a doctor like Ethan to, you know, not mm-hmm. give up and go that extra mile. I get migraines and they suck. Yeah. No, I mean, I yeah. And it just it made me, I don't know, miss old Ethan. I don't old know. Ethan. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's why I say that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, again, it's more when I saw April and Ethan, I was like, uh don't care for this and I don't know and that kind of sucks right because they did have that nice moment at the end of the episode that we were just talking about and like will I ever get to a point when I can watch April and Ethan in a scene interacting with each other and not want to roll my eyes we got close to it this episode no I still rolled my eyes and it was a nice moment yeah I just I just they they just stress me out I really don't like them I'm no, not as I, I love them as individual characters. I don't like them together. I hear you. I hear you. So I hear you. Totally get it. So um next up we've got Mansell, Brenna's rider die ship, who she loves so much. I know. Did this did this like did this just like kill you in the feels? Yeah, it's you know how last a few weeks ago or whatever I was talking about how like a year ago it came up on my time hop that I was like, oh, I guess it's gonna be hard for I'll, you know, believe it when I see it, when I become like a Marcel fan. And now I am like a full fledged Marcel fan. Like now I'm like, oh man, like I'm a really, really, really big Marcel stan. Like, damn. So Natalie and Crockett, this is, a, this is an episode where the couples work together, but I don't really hate it. Yeah. I didn't hate this one. Didn't really hate it. Okay. So I really actually like this storyline. I really did. They have a moment at the beginning about, um, you know, Natalie's just like, oh my God, I can't believe I came home. And you're like, your ex-wife was there. It's so embarrassing. And Crockett's like, oh no, no, like there's nothing, nothing happening there. Like zilch. Okay. While we're on this subject. So are we just not going to see the ex-wife again? Like, was that it? I'm so confused. I just can't imagine that she put her ass on a plane in a pandemic to drop off a shoebox at Crockett's place. Well, I can't imagine that they cast her and introduced us to her and she's not going to pop back up. She's got to pop back up. Right. But like, it just kind of seems like, okay, she's done. She's gone. 
I have theories about the next coming episodes because we know a couple of things with regard to Natalie and Will. I have theories. Okay. We'll discuss theories. at the end. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's like, no, like nothing's going on. She literally was just passing through, which like, where was she going? Was she going to Canada? Because like, if you draw a line from New Orleans to Chicago, <laughs> it just goes up through like the Arctic. Just doesn't make any sense to me. Whatever. <laughs> whatever um so they get their patient their patient is a woman who she was a contractor for like some construction project she fell off a scaffolding and got herself impaled some final destination shit if i did i totally was thinking about that because obviously i work in um like property management and we have a team of maintenance guys and i swear to god i thought about that today as we were sending them off to do what they were going to do and obviously it was nothing like that but i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah so it's like, it, yikes it's gruesome too and she's really young she's like 23 maybe she's like really really young or no i'm sorry i'm getting my numbers backwards she's she's like early 30s um but she gets impaled which like i don't there's never a good age to get impaled no 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 yeah but still like ugh. so crockett is able to you know basically take out the giant like pipe thing which you know i feel like we've all learned from Grey's anatomy leave it in um yeah. yeah but yeah they so crockett gets it out and he's about to close up and everything but he sees he finds a tumor uh and so he leaves her abdomen open so that they can talk about options but there's a moment here in surgery where i was like ah, i'm pretty impressed here um Croc, or crockett's operating natalie's in like the the other room not the gallery but she's able to like listen in and crockett's like there's a tumor and Natalie's like, well, can you resect it? And the first thing out of Crockett's mouth doesn't even miss a beat. He's like, not without the patient's consent. I was like, whoa. That's why that one, or I guess it's now two weeks ago. I'm all screwed up that way since we had to record this weekend. What is time? I don't even know. We don't even know. It's Groundhog Day over here. So in 604, when Natalie and Marcel got in trouble, the fact that he went so like rogue on that patient and like in that situation it just felt kind of so out of character <laughs> the fact that everyone's like oh yeah marcel's gonna do all this like he's part with will or with will and natalie about breaking the rules i'm like honestly not really that was just like that one time he is triggered by patients who present with cancer yeah which i mean we're not saying that's good or bad it's just that's what it is Right, but that even then, that doesn't always cause him to go rogue because he did it in this episode. It's like a reverse of what he did in episode four. Exactly. It is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, they find the cancer. They, they tell the patient about it. And she's just like, no, like, this is my fate. My mom died of stomach cancer. Like, I'm not fighting. Everything made her sick. I'm not going out like that. Like, just leave it. This is how it's going to be. And so Natalie's like, so we're just going to leave it at that? Like, what are we going to do? And Crockett's like, no, like, I'm going to talk to her alone. So we're setting up for the same, like, we're setting up the same way we did in episode four. Same way. But it ends a little differently. And we finally get a little bit more background into Crockett as a father. A little bit more. She was so small, but so tough. You know? Put one hell of a fight. Taught me more about courage and resilience than I could learn in a lifetime. 
I don't talk about this with many people. Why did you? Because your life is just as precious as my little girl's. Oh my God, Crockett as a father must have been like the best. Oh my God, I definitely cried. Yeah, yeah. Definitely cried. Just the way he talks about her, like, wow. And for him to share that with her, like that's a big, big deal. Right, and regardless, he wasn't really sure. Like, yeah, he thought that it maybe would change her mind, but like he wasn't really sure that it was going to actually convince her to get the surgery. Um, And so the fact that he even went that far, but like even the stuff that he was talking about, it just broke my heart. I know, I know. Like total Hail Mary move that just happened to work. I think the thing that I love about Crockett is the fact that he presents himself as one thing but clearly has all these other layers and like history and I I just I love that we've the way they've peeled these layers back kind of a little bit out of time I think it's I I don't know I I really have enjoyed it they really try to show him like he's TC from the night shift but he's a giant softy Mm -hmm. accurate and TC was not that way no not at all no so yeah, it, it, it's, it's good. It's really good. So um, he convinces her to do the surgery and Natalie's like, how did you do it? As if she doesn't already know. But uh, he's like, I made it personal. Like that's that, I made it personal. So they do the surgery, everything is fine. And at the end of the episode, Cro- it's the very, very last scene. Crockett gets home and he opens this box on his kitchen counter. And it's basically it's basically the, the the box for everything that has to pertain to his daughter. Um, it's like a disc of like Harper's first steps, Harper's baby onesies, like all sorts crying. of baby stuff. Yeah. And so, and, and he tears up and like, you know, he's crying, but he just can't really do it. And he puts the lid back on and just shoves it aside. Okay. I have two random thoughts off of this scene. Besides the fact that that scene made me like so emotional. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you happen to notice the date on the disc? 2010 yes okay so obviously i don't and if that would have been her first steps and she died when she was what like two or she died right after her first birthday is what he told her right okay so how getting to a point of how old do we think crockett is that's really the point that i'm trying to get at he's probably right around 40 okay that's my guess I have no idea. I just, I saw the date and I was like 2010 and I was like, okay, well then how old would that have made Croc? I don't know. I was just trying to do things in my head. How old is Dominic? I don't know. Google. He's 38. So yeah, I I would say that's about, that's about right. Yeah. I was thinking like 35 ish. So yeah. Nah, your perception of what's old and what's not old is warped because you're a nineties baby. (laughs) I'm a mid nineties baby at that. I'm almost 35. <laughs> Couldn't imagine having a 10 year old. My God. Um, <laughs> anyway. Okay. Second thing. Can we talk about Marcel's apartment? Yes. Or do we think it's in the same building as Severides? No, because it seems smaller. I think we got, a, we got a better picture this week of Severides apartment and it's just fucking massive. Yes. We, we will get to that too, but point being the only reason i'm asking that too is because of the exposed like they both look like they're fucking warehouses 
Um, I mean, Crockett literally, if you look from last week to when Natalie comes to knock on his door, his numbers are spray painted in like those like weird block letters on his door. Crockett's are? Yes. I gotta go back and look at that. It's like 638, but it's like, I don't know. It just looks so industrial. You remember the house <laughs> number and you're telling me that my memory doesn't make sense? I don't know why I know that. It's okay. I could still tell you that Aaron Lindsay's door number was 310. So whatever. <laughs> anyway, oh. but it just looks so industrial. And then obviously Severides, it's very industrial with like the exposed brick and stuff. I don't know. I was just wondering if they were in the same apartment building. Kelly's got a fucking East and West wing, which like we didn't even know until this episode. <laughs> I know. If I you mean, ever hey, wanted to make a West wing reboot, you would film it in Kelly Severide's apartment. I mean, Severide could obviously have a three bedroom and marcel could have a one i'm just saying they could till technically be in the same building i don't freaking know dude that's yeah, my I head mean... cannon and i'm rolling with it <laughs> i think severides more towards like the ground floor just i don't know why i just think he is but it just seems like a swanky surgeon would live in like the higher up floors with like that sweeping view of the See, city i have it as the opposite in my head cannon <laughs> Either way, the mystery still stands of how much these people make, okay? <laughs> yes. Because Severide's place is way too sweet. Oh, and when even when we get to Gallo's place, I mean, Gallo is like a newbie firefighter. How the freak can he afford that apartment? I don't understand. Not that I know what Ricky firefighters make, but like Gallo's a pipsqueak. He's a child. He's <laughs> got to be I'm making saying. like 40, 50,000 max. That's what I'm saying. How can, why, okay. Real question. Why did Otis, Cruz, and Brett and insert why did everyone else have to be roommates and Gallo's like living by himself in that apartment? I'm just it's a, saying. It's a really fair question. And I definitely just Googled how much do new firefighters make in Chicago? And it looks like in the 25th percentile, not that I know how this like distinguishes me. I don't even know. I don't know. But in the tw the 25th percentile firefighter salary in Chicago is $37,990 a year. Yeah, no. I don't know, man. I don't know. Just anyway, Google. off track completely. <laughs> We're but way off track now. The average annual pay for a federal firefighter in Chicago is 75000 But wait, a federal firefighter, not like a local firefighter? And what's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> you would think it after so long of watching the show, we would have some idea. But guys, we're like delirious tired. Remember, we said we're tired. We're like delirious tired, but good tired, right? Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just seeing that seeing Marcel's apartment again, trying to get us back on track, had me wondering <laughs> all these things. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely a fair question. Um, and I mean, it's also it. I mean, I have a lot of questions based off of this, right? Like he doesn't. Crockett never talks about this, right? And I mean, we got the explanation for it in the finale because he's like, then people look at me just like that. But those feelings are in there. He's gonna have to talk about it at some point. He's not gonna want to talk to Doctor Charles about it. I don't think so. Yeah. So he's probably going to end up talking to Natalie. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. I, I just, I, I have this mental image of you aboard like the SS Mansell and it's like just Titanic and you're just like, I'm the king of the world. My ship is together. <laughs> accurate though. I was very disappointed. There wasn't more romantic Mansell. We'll put it that way. Yeah. It's fair. This week. But yeah, no, I, I definitely am curious too. And that's kind of, again, why I bring up the whole ex-wife thing. Cause I think that would obviously stir up a lot of it too. 
Um, but does she come back? I feel like she has to come back. She has to come back. There's okay. no way they go through all of that just to have her for like a hot second at the end of an episode. Here, so here's what I think is going to happen. So in episode eight, we know that Natalie's mother is going to pop up. We've seen it. We've heard it everywhere. Will's all like, yeah, it's beautiful, whatever. My theory is that Natalie's mom is coming in and she's going to have heart failure and she's going to join Will's study. Um, this is going to bring Natalie and Will back together. Again, this is my theory. I could be dead wrong. And if I am dead wrong, everybody point and laugh at me. I'll be like, yeah, I deserve it. Um, Natalie and Will are going to be like circling each other again. Crockett's going to see that and just be like, well, Natalie's not interested in me right now. And the ex-wife is going to just like circle back through Chicago for some odd reason. And that's my theory. I have questions, but that's a whole other thing. So we don't dead wrong. I'm probably dead wrong. And everybody's just going to be like, Gina, shut up. And I'll be like, yeah, that's fair. I will. (laughs) So who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. So next up in the hospital is my favorite redhead, Mr. Will. Um, Can we talk for a second about how good he looked on One Chicago Day? He looked very good. The men of One Chicago just really looked amazing on One Chicago Day. (laughs) They just did. did. Um, Brian and I would text back and forth like while this was going on. We were like multitasking supreme. And um, we got to med and I was just like, everybody just looks so good today. I can't handle it. Yeah. It was good. It was good. Okay. So Will is in the ED, which I don't mind it. It was nice to have him back in the ED for one episode. You mean being an actual, well, not that he's not a doctor, but like being an actual like doctor, like he's supposed to be an an emergency room doctor. Yeah. Yeah, Like an ED doc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's back in the ED and right now I'm blanking on his patient. Do you remember his patient? No, I've told you I only got to watch this episode once. Fuck. Um, The... Moral of the story though. So Will's got a patient, you know, he's in the ED. Dr. Choi is like, you cannot do anything with the trial today. Like I need you right here. And Will's like, you just heard me tell Dr. Varani that like, I have this thing at three. I have to be on Zoom at three o'clock. Like you just heard me say it. And Ethan's like, "Mm, too bad. So Will turns around to Dr. Varani and he's like, "Uh, don't mind them. Like I will be there. Don't even worry. So he gets his patient and, um, you know, he handles that, whatever. Well, three o'clock rolls around and weatherman Will is like in full, full get up, like ready, ready to go. He's like standing in front of his Zoom screen. He's like, and in, in Chicago, it's sunny with a chance of rain. And then, in, you know, in this portion of the world, it's snowy. And um, yeah, he had a clicker and it literally felt like he was actually a weatherman this week. Cutest weatherman. I said that out loud. God, what is wrong with me? Um, yeah, he's in total weatherman mode. So Dr. Verani's like, well, like you should totally consider a career in like doing clinical trials. Like you're so good at this, which I mean, he is. Um, I mean, if that doesn't work, maybe he should just go study meteorology. Um, but he's just like, no, like I'm in the ED. I like it. I'm an ED doc. Like I do illegal shit. It's fun. Um, and she's just like, okay, we'll just like think about it. He gets back down to the ED and Dr. Choi is like, the fuck? <laughs> But my favorite part of this is that, like, Will didn't even argue with him. Will was just like, whatever, Ethan, like, shut up. Ethan was like, what, where did you go? I told you you couldn't do that. Will was like, um, the hospital said this was okay. If you have a problem, just take it up with Goodwin and boy, bye. And that's it. So I, I, you know, Ethan is in a hard place right now as chief. I get that. I respect it. But Will just, like, shutting him down was slightly enjoyable. I hated it. What? I hated it. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? 
Because this is the problem, and this is why Ethan can't have nice things. So who are you mad at here? Are you mad at Will or Ethan? I think I'm not even mad at really either one of them, per se. Just that the fact... I guess I'm mad at Will because he reacted in that way. Like, I get that it was important to him, right? But Ethan is his boss. Mm. Yeah. Like, Liz will it, ever respected authority, though. I know, but that's the problem. You have a good point. Like, that is the problem, is that, like, Will doesn't respect authority 95%. Well, yeah, he doesn't respect authority a lot of the time. I oh, don't know Will's that's... patient is, dodgy. you know, Will's patient is Kelly Bissett, the, uh, the kidnapped victim. Or, yeah, the kidnapped victim from the premiere? Not the premiere. Not quite the premiere. So she's the kidnapped victim who was a couple of episodes before when she was like reciting off the kids that she babysat and they realized that, you know, she was the kidnapped victim. Um, she threw herself out of a moving vehicle. Like that's, that's literally what happened. Literally. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Sorry, I rem see, remembering you, not that that wasn't useless, but remembering random things. Anyway, um, <laughs> No, I lost my train of thought. I Ryan has had it with me already. <laughs> I don't remember what I was saying. About Will and Ethan I know, being his boss. Yeah, just like Will doesn't respect authority a lot of time. And like Ethan is trying to toe the line between like being colleagues with everyone and being their boss. But how is he, how can he be their boss if they're not going to respect him? I don't know. It just, it really bugged me. That's a really fair question. No, that, that's absolutely a fair question. Like, it really, I don't know, it really bugged me. And, like, if Will wants to do, if Will wants to do clinical trials, then go fucking do the clinical trials. Well, he, he tells Dr. Verani at the end of the episode, like, maybe I will take you up on that. Right. But, like, your job right now is an ED doctor, so be the fucking ED doctor. But he's also going to go fucking do no, the clinical no, trials, no, like no, you said. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> This is too much of a Will Halstead stand. I can't stand it. I don't know what happened to me. I need to take a step back for a little bit and just like shut it down. I don't know where this is coming from. I just woke yes. up one morning and was like, I love Will Halstead. I don't know. Literally can't even say like anything without her trying to like. Dude, but true story though. Okay, so so in our interview, which you saw, um, when I asked if they thought that Goodwin was too harsh on Will, like there is genuine surprise in my face that you can't see because it was on speaker view. But like, I was genuinely surprised when they were like, no, no, she wasn't too harsh. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I don't know what happened. And then Nick was like, well, I don't know if Will would agree. And I'm like, there we go. <laughs> I, I need to step back and shut it down. Like, I don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Brian is like, please pull yourself together, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. Like said, that part did really i did not like that um but you also saw in our interview that nick is a giant goofball like he had us laughing like out loud at the end of that interview with like all the stuff um that he was talking about with like the the direct line to dick on the phone mm -hmm. and he awesome. raps like what yeah crazy i don't know i don't know i'm just gonna shut up now before this is like a whole podcast about will halstead i don't know brina don't know so next up we've got maggie sweet sweet maggie and her sweet little family of augie and ben just protect them at all costs and just like leave it at that <laughs> literally yeah moving on no just kidding <laughs> um augie's getting worse like worse 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 
um he's jaundiced like his eyes are yellow he's confused um he definitely like didn't recognize who was in the room with him and stuff and it's some it's from some sort of like ammonia buildup in his blood um like he really needs a transplant is basically the, the gist of it and so um Goodwin's like, okay, well, you know, I know you did that website. It didn't work. Like, let's see if we can find something else. So a liver becomes available, but there's something wrong with it. There's some sort of condition that will damage it in the long run. Um, but Maggie's like, no, like, let's go. Let's do the operation. Let's get this done. Freaking DCFS is ready to stop them on the way to the OR. I don't understand how that's ethical. Right. Like, I understand that they have rules and that obviously, you know, rules are rules, but like, how is that ethical? Like the kids are under your care, obviously, because they're wards of the state. So they're under your care, but like, you're not going to do what's needed to try to save their lives. I don't understand. You're actually going to stand there in front of the gurney when they're about to do something like to to help this kid's life. And you're going to say that it can't happen because it's too risky. Well, or like, yeah, we'd rather let him die a slow, aggravating yeah, death. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. I, that was something I was like, what the? That was a really, really surprising moment for sure. Uh, I, I mean, also wonder if that's like an Illinois thing, if that's a kind of the general rule for all, you know, of child of family service departments. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think that situation is highly unique, but I mean, I have questions just like my, my legal brain that's full of useless crap. Um, you know, I, I, what's the status that Maggie and Ben have as parents? Are they foster parents? Are they like, wh- what are they considered? And then what are the rules that come with that? I mean, in my home state, the, the standard with family law is best interest of the child. So I guess it's a question of, you know, is this operation with this liver that has a little bit of a problem? Is that in the best interest of the child? But I would say yes. But also like, what's the difference then? And I guess every state's different, but like between being a guardian, so say if there are guardians, like guardians versus foster parents. And like, in terms of, obviously, if you can like make decisions for the child in terms of like, whether they go on a field trip, how can you like, I guess you would still be able to make decisions for them in medical stuff. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, I guess, because I'm not in that, like, I don't know. That field. Yeah. Sense. And it's, it's been a long time since I've been in that field because that field will destroy you. Let me tell you, but guardians typically have less rights than a parent. I mean, obviously, but I think guardians are still able to make medical decisions, but guardians versus foster parents. That's more my question. Now I know obviously guardians versus parents. I mean, that's a different situation, but like guardians versus like foster parents. So good. Yeah. I, I, and I, I don't really have an answer. I mean, and even just in general, like foster parents, like, cause I would assume if someone is living with you, obviously because foster children can stay with house that you know with families for you know however yeah. long you yeah. know until they're 18 but like can you so you're telling me that foster parents can't make like medical decisions that seems like weird they have to be able to make medical decisions right like, they have to i don't know it just that that's why this whole situation doesn't seem right to me right right dcfs can be like oh yeah no you can't have a surgery and i'm like huh mm-hmm so Goodwin is like, the fuck are we doing in my hospital? Um, P.S. Interviewing Epatha was fantastic. She is a queen. Queen. She's another person. I, I would just sit down and listen to her tell stories for hours. She, I'm sure she has plenty about everybody and everything. And yeah. It was so awesome to interview her. I want her back on the podcast so badly. Me too. 
Yeah, she was an absolute pleasure to interview. Uh, now that we're done fangirling over Epatha, can can I switch? Can I switch stands? Can I become like go from being a Will Halstead stand to being an Epatha stand? Yes, an Epatha stand. Yes. Okay. Yes. Definitely. I'll work on it. Um, but yeah, Goodwin is like, the hell are we doing in my hospital right now? And so there's like a light bulb that goes off in Maggie's head. And Maggie's like, wait a second, if we adopt him, that might change the picture and we might actually get to make this decision. So Maggie takes the idea to Goodwin and Goodwin's like, yeah, but you know, that's not an overnight process, which it's not. Adoption is a painstaking process. Yeah, no, I know. My, I mean, my cousin was adopted, so I know that part, but yeah, uh, just... I will share this tidbit though, just from my days of, you know, practicing and stuff is that if you ever do stumble upon an adoption a day you're in court, it is the most wonderful, like heartwarming thing, but it's so rare. It's, it's total like Aladdin diamond in the rough stuff. Like I stumbled upon it one day in the middle of like horrible criminal cases. And I was like, Oh my goodness, my feelings. It was wonderful, but it's definitely a long painstaking process. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, Goodwin's like, yeah, it's not an overnight thing. Like, what are, like, what, what do you expect to come from that? So Maggie and Goodwin hatch this plan. Goodwin's like, no, like, we're just gonna, we're gonna do the operation. Like, and if you get any pushback, I'm going to the media. Like, that's happening. So it's okay. I understand Goodwin's heart was in the right place, and I agree <laughs> that sh- they should have gone through with this. But Goodwin can break the rules. Yeah. I like to think of this as like, this is kind of one of those situations where like, you're not going to mess with my best friend. I know, but Goodwin is still who she is in the hospital. And like, she still did. I mean, she broke rules. She did break rules, but she's also not wrong about the bad press. No, I'm not. Again, I didn't say anything Goodwin did. I totally agree with what they did. But she broke rules. I'm just, I'm just pointing out the, I'm just, I'm just here to point that out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the most frustrating thing is that there's just, there's, it's all gray area. There's no right or wrong. It's just all. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, she's like, no, we're doing the, we're doing the operation. And if anybody gives you pushback, like I'm going to the press and just like blasting them, um, which is like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Natalie and Crockett are like, woo, we got this OR for this giant operation. Go us. And she's just like, I should fire you. But, but okay, these are two different things though. At this point, Augie is just the sweetest little boy, right? He's a child. He's defenseless. Like he needs adults to step up for him and bend the rules. Right. No, again, I'm not saying that she did the wrong thing Mm because she didn't. I just had to point that out. Yeah. That like she, you know, yells at everyone else for doing what they do. And yet she also bent rules. We got to start keeping a scorecard of like who breaks rules, who follows them and accurate but again i just had to i just had to point it out that's Mm -hmm. all i'm i just yeah i just had to point it out Mm -hmm. (laughs) so augie gets the operation and and it's fine so i mean the next time i want to see maggie ben and augie is in the courtroom at the adoption ceremony like yeah i was just about to say i swear to god if someone tries to take augie away from them because he still ended up getting the surgery after they said no i swear we will hop on planes with our masks and storm <laughs> Chicago. Actually, though. Justice for Maggie. You leave that little boy alone. Actually, though. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Yeah, that's that's all I want to see from them next. Like, don't even I, you know, that's great. Augie's recovering and everything, but courtroom adoption, that's all I want to see with all their med family around them. Probably can't do that though, because courts virtual well, yeah, courts virtual and yeah, they can't have that many people in the room. So but then like Augie can start like running around the hospital and then he's got like Uncle Will, Auntie Nat, Uncle Crockett, like Yeah. My heart. Auntie April, who will probably like sneak him candy or something. Oh, yeah. my heart. Yeah. Last up, we've got Dr. Charles and Anna. Okay. Are we mad about the result here? Did they go full one Chicago on Anna? How do we feel about this? I don't know. I guess my point with this is like, so what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, I had that That's too. more how I felt like, okay, yeah, you went through this whole thing last week. Oh my God, Anna's pregnant. And then literally the next episode, just kidding. She had a chemical pregnancy. Oh, I blinked and she's not pregnant. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so what's the point? I, I don't know. I, yeah. Okay. So, so let's go through this and then we can like really dissect it. So Dr. Charles, he's at home. He finds a pregnancy pamphlet in like the coat pocket, you know, and in his coat pocket, it falls out. Natalie's card is like attached to it. Um, he goes to talk to Natalie and he's just like, hello, like maybe you wanted to drop me a hint. I don't know. Natalie's like, listen, I tried to get her to talk to you. Like I actually followed HIPAA for the first time in my life and I tried to get her to go talk to you and she wouldn't. So, you know, Nat's like, throw me a bone, dude. I followed the rules for once. (laughs) For once. Yeah. Um, but she points out, she's just like, she's scared. Like that's all she's just, she's scared. And so he and Anna talk and, you know, Anna's just like, I was going to tell you your lawyer came along, like kind of ruined everything. So, you know, and she's just, she's most worried about telling her mom because her mom's kind of a hard ass. And Dr. Charles, I think handles this well though. He's like, you know, he, he's not really judgmental. He's just is like with her, he's very just like, okay, we're going to take this one step at a time. Like, we're going to just going to see what happens. And, you know, we're just going to, you know, Go That's what I'm process. saying. I think Dr. Charles reacted exactly how I thought he would. I never thought he was going to be judgmental. I thought he was going to be shocked. And then, but like act exactly how he acted. Yeah, I can see that. I can act, see that. Like, I, I always knew, like, yeah. I mean, obviously I think it's a shock. I would assume if you learned that your 15-year-old child is pregnant. Um, I would assume that, and you didn't even know they were having sex or had a boyfriend, let alone um so like I'm sure that came obviously as a shock but like he was so supportive regardless and I wouldn't have imagined him doing having any other reaction yeah he handled it really well um really really well and like Anna was really thankful that he was there too like I would Mm -hmm. I mean not that I would you know even guess about how she felt in that moment but like I don't know there are times when you know you would feel kind of overwhelmed right by like too many people in the room but she was really happy that he was there and he was so nice and so um, you know, he's working with Kelly Bissett the whole episode. And that was interesting to me too, how like her, she got so overwhelmed by her memories that like, that's why she flung herself out of the car. Yeah. That was really interesting. Um, but at the end of the episode, Dr. Charles comes home and he's like, okay, I've got to take out pizza, whatever. And Anna just flat out says, she's like, I'm bleeding. And Dr. Charles handles this moment so well. He's like, okay, let's just put your coat on. Let's go back to med and let's just see what's going on. He's mm-hmm. so calm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he, I knew he was gonna react. Like I can't. I would have been shocked if they were like, "Oh no, he like is terrible and you know not supportive." I would have been like, "Really?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I just, I love how he handles this. Cause I mean, calm's contagious. It's just mm-hmm. like, a lot of people don't realize that too, but I mean, I, I don't know. I just love the way he handled it. It was very calm. I think Dr. Charles is somebody I would want in a crisis because he would just get Definitely. high in the corner, wouldn't he? As we saw in the med backdoor pilot. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, they go to med and Natalie explains that it was a chemical pregnancy. So the chemical pregnancy, it just means it's a very, very early miscarriage where you just, I mean, the only symptoms that a woman might have is just cramping. Like it's so early and so quick and they wouldn't have known that that was what was happening if she hadn't had the test, like the blood work for the birth control weeks before. So yeah. Um, but it ends and basically Anna's just like, I'm really glad you're here. Like, I'm glad that happened. And now that I'm not pregnant anymore, like, can we not tell mom? And Dr. Charles is just like, let's just worry about that later, but it ends well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe the point was to bring Anna and Dr. Charles closer. And I think it obviously, I think the point has to also do with the bigger storyline of the fact that Anna is going to move away mm-hmm. and like eventually probably going to have to decide who she wants to live with. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's definitely the point, but like, you know, it was kind of like, did we really have to do it with the pregnancy? I just, I don't know. I know. I wonder if like, that's going to be the thing that kind of lights the fire under Dr. Charles to like really fight for, you know, some sort of. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm sure it yeah. has to do with the bigger picture of the, you know, move storyline, but yeah. Yeah. I I wasn't too mad. I was like, I feel like I should be mad that they went one Chicago pregnancy on her, but I'm not that mad. I'm not that mad. She's 15. I mean. Yeah, I'm not that mad. Yeah. Traumatic Dossie style miscarriage for her. I would have been a little mad, but this was just quick and like, you know, super early. And so I was like, all right. Yeah. So, any other notes on med? Nope. Good episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good episode. So, I enjoyed it. Moving into fire. This was such a good episode of fire. Yeah, I think this was the best episode of the three hours. I sure. really, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this episode. So, um, I mean, it made me want to throw shit sometimes. Like, this made me really want to throw shit sometimes, but it was really good. Yeah, but then the middle of the episode happened and that kind of made up for everything. Yeah, literally. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about the beginning of the episode. Like, literally, I almost texted you, but you I didn't know which order you were watching them first because um, I watched Fire first, obviously. Um, and I was like, literally, I'm like, I'm two seconds in the episode and I already went throw shit. Like, I was literally like about to, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> okay, um, start us off. Talk about Casey. Just start us off. Yeah, we'll just start with We'll talk about Casey. Um, so basically what happens is the episode begins. Severide wakes Casey up because Casey's apparently running late for shift and Severide's about to walk out the door. And he like knocks on Casey's door and Casey answers the door looking very like disheveled and I uh, don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then finds that Sydney was also there. And I guess they had a little sleepover. I'm glad but- you remembered her name because like she answered the door and I was like, who is this again? Sydney. Okay. Um, but anyway, and this is where we were talking about like how big is this loft? Because Severide, we've literally only ever seen kind of like the main living room area with the kitchen, and we know Severide's room is off of like the kitchen. And I figured that if you know you just kind of turned around, like Casey's room is on the other side that we don't see, and I'm sure there's a bathroom over there somewhere too. It's like right by the front door. Right. Yeah. Exactly. 
But like literally you like turn a whole corner and there's like Casey's room and like two other doors. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, where are we? There's like a hallway to Casey's bedroom. And you're just like, where did this come from? But actually though, (laughs) but actually though. Yeah, I just, I feel like, I was like, I don't think we've ever seen this section of the loft before. We really haven't, no. Um, yeah. So Casey finally makes it to the firework house, and he's still, like, kind of like, okay, let me get some coffee. And then has this, like, kind of awkward interaction with Brett at the coffee machine. And she's just like, you know, I know I asked for space, and you've been really great about it, but it's been a while, and it's just nice to talk again, you know? And he's like, yeah, it is. And then she leaves, and he has this look on his face. He's like, what in the... How are you feeling about these two right now? I'm still... I'm still there. Okay. I'm feeling kind of meh about them. I'm just kind of like, meh. Nope. I'll tell you that when we get to that scene, I will tell you the scene that reinvigorated it all. I mean, okay. not that I ever lost it, but we'll get there. Okay. Um. Anyway. So, yeah. They have this kind of little awkward interaction, whatever. Um. And then we go on and a bunch of other stuff happens and we'll get there in a second. But Casey and Severide are talking on the apparatus floor about Gallo and Severide's like, well, you know, as long as you're not really trying to take your anger and frustration out on, you know, as long as it's about Gallo and not something else. And he's like, you seem a little off lately. And then, of course, all of a sudden, Sydney appears out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> and she makes some terrible puns because that seems to be her thing. And I can't stand them at all. Um <laughs> And she appears, though, she, like, brings Matt his T-shirt back. I was like, this is so silly. I mean, like, I get why she homegirl did it, but, like, this is so stupid. Like, I don't really wear Charlie's clothes on the regular. I just, I... Okay, even if she wore it home, fine, right? Okay, cool. No big deal. You know, because maybe she was wearing a dress. I don't know what she was wearing. But anyway, even if she wore Matt's T-shirt home, fine. Why? I, clearly, she just brought it to the firehouse to like try to get him to go on another date. Clearly, that's what that was. Who rolls up on other people at work? Nobody does that. I mean, I guess the firehouse when you know they're probably gonna be there for the most part, but like still, yeah. I don't know. It just seems a little. It it was a little desperate. Not gonna mm-hmm. lie. <laughs> but anyway, so they end up agreeing to another date, and Casey agrees. And, but not before Brett can literally, like, crash into them on her way out to another call. And she's just like, oh, I'm sorry. And Matt's like, oh, you know Sylvie? Like, she, you know, and she's like, hey, it's my paramedic friend. And Brett's just like, yeah. It, it's just like kind of this little awkward interaction. But Brett gets in the ambo to go to the call. And Casey just, like, stares at her and, like, makes all these hard eyes. And that's the scene. I was like, oh, nope, I'm still, I'm still there. Sydney's just Sydney makes me uncomfortable. The amount of times I rewatched that scene today when I was like outlining this. Do you want me to make you a gif of it? I mean, I've watched that scene a lot. Not gonna lie. I just, yeah, I still am very into them. Can Um, we also take a moment to discuss that Severide right now is being a better friend to Casey than he is being a boyfriend to Stella? Yeah. He's like, he's reading Casey like a book. Meanwhile, like, hi, your girlfriend over in the corner needs you. We'll get there. We'll get there. We will. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that's the scene. So Casey and Sydney end up walking home from their date. And she tries to invite him in by asking him to inspect her smoke detector. <laughs> Again, she makes these terrible, terrible jokes. And I literally, 
kid you not, I was like, put my hand above over my eyes. And I was like, girl, what are you doing? This one is on par with like the bad, bad pickup lines. Like the one about like, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Like this is on par with that. But that's literally every single time words come out of her mouth. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah, she is not. Anyway. Um, and then they make out or whatever, and but then Casey stops it, and he's like, I can't do this, and... Sorry. I'd really like to, but... Something to do with the paramedic, maybe? Sylvie? It's kind of impossible not to notice the way you look at her. Yeah, so even Cindy can see that Casey's just hopelessly in love with Brett. I mean, I'm glad that she saw it and stepped aside because I didn't yeah. really want to deal that with was, her anymore. No, yeah, same. That's the only redeeming quality about Sydney. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, Sydney. You, I mean, you're fine. I, <laughs> I, every joke, bad joke, this makes up for it. Um, anyway, <laughs> and so then we have another Casey and Severide bromance moment in the kitchen the next morning, which we had a lot of Casey and Severide like bro moments this week. Yeah, if we can't get domestic moments with Stellaride, we're going to get them with Savasi. Okay, fine. If only we could have had them over our cigar chat, but I'll take this. This is fine. Um. Anyway, so Casey and Stellaride are talking the next morning over coffee, and Casey does admit that it's been rough trying to get past, like, what happened with Sylvie. And he even says, he's like, it turns out just being with anyone else just makes it worse. That's because you're with the wrong person, but I digress. <laughs> so, Yeah. No that's... mention of Sylvie's new firefighter friend. No, but I guess that's coming. I think he's still around. Supposedly he was filming relatively recently. So we shall see. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I'm just, I'm still here for it though. I have a feeling though, I was talking with um, my friend Lizzie from Fangirlish last night mm-hmm. and we were talking about, I have a feeling though, we're not going to get this till like the end of the season. I could see that. Like I have a feeling it seems like an end of season thing that like they finally, finally get together. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that, especially so. since the season's like shortened this year. Yeah, however long it is, but yeah, I have a feeling it's like we're still in for some more angst, which I'm just like. Oh. Didn't Sylvie or Sylvie Kara Kara? Um, <laughs> yeah, Kara said in our in and when we talked to her, she was like, "There's not enough room in Chicago for like all that angst." Yeah, she was like, "Buckle up, get ready for some angst." Yeah, yeah. So, <sighs> yeah, so, that, so that's Bretzy, man, yeah. Bretzy. Um, moving into the other couple that is making us want to like bang our head on hard surfaces. Well, in the beginning, in the beginning, the Stellarides, the Stellarides. Okay. So they go on their call, they get back from their call and Stella just like walks up to Severide and she's like, I'm staying at Brett's again. And what does this idiot say? He says, do what you got to do. I swear, Bryna, I'm going to jump through that screen and I'm going to smack him. The thing that bugs me about this is like you can tell that it's killing him like you can tell that as she says that it's slowly killing him but yet he says do what you got to do i didn't see it that way i saw it as him just being like i'm sticking with this whole avoiding her thing well in parts of it i saw it as like that but in this specific moment i thought it was him like i you could tell it was killing him 
All I'm saying is that Kylie is the real MVP of this episode. Oh my God. Yes. The unexpected MVP. Yeah. Yeah. Kylie is the most valuable player. So Casey and Sev are talking and Casey turns the table and she's like, or he's like, why, why hasn't Stella been here? Like what's going on? And, and uh, Kelly says, like, oh, it's nothing that won't work itself out. What? What? It didn't work itself out the first time. Why would it work itself out now? That's the thing that kills me, though, is when he's like, oh, yeah, we'll get to like, like you keep saying, he take he's taking her for granted that she will still be there when he's ready to go back to her. Uh, like, he doesn't realize the risk he's taking. No. And it's so frustrating. Because he thinks he's she's gonna be there. I just I want to scream. So in the bunk room, Stella's talking to Sylvie, and she's just like, "Yeah, I'm fucking overwhelmed. Like, there's a lot of shit going on." And she's like, "You know, everybody warned me Kelly wasn't the settling down type. He'd blow this up somehow, some way." And I'm sitting there like, "No, but he's changed. But also, like, I think maybe you were right. Like, ah." Uh, uh, um. But she even asked the question, she's like, does anybody ever really change? Like, what if I thought everything we had together was wrong? And I mean, the question of does anybody ever really change is completely fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely fair. Especially when time and time and time again before that, they didn't change. And so, like, if your one chance, one time that you thought he changed is the outlier, then, like, it might, maybe it's the outlier still. Yeah. Yeah, big time. So Kylie comes in to drop off some books and she can tell that like, oh wait, Stella's upset about something. Like something's going on. So Stella goes to see Bowden and she's like, I just want to like push back the lieutenant's exam. I just, I don't want Girls on Fire to fall off. Like I just want to wait. And like, she knows that, you know, Stella knows that she, when she's on the verge of being burned out, obviously she learned that lesson the hard way the first time, right? Uh, so she's like, no, like I, I want to push it back. I want to wait. And Bowden's like, okay okay you sure about that but okay um and so casey and sever i'd have some bro time over coffee this is the scene that they have in front of like the counter which i mean hey if we can't get a cigar shot a cigar chat i'll take a coffee chat that's what i'm saying like yes this was a there was a lot of savacy in this week's episode i would have preferred it to be over cigars but i will take it Mm -hmm. yeah i'll take it and so um casey's like so you look like hell and kelly's like yeah but things are like really screwed up right now he finally comes clean about why he's been avoiding stella why did it take like four episodes right and why are you not coming clean to stella like (sighs) yes it's important that you tell in casey and like somebody but like you also should be telling stella just saying This is why Kylie is the MVP because, I mean, nothing would have changed had Kylie not been like, hey, Kelly, something's up. Mm -hmm. My gosh. Okay, so Kylie approaches Severide and just kind of tells him like, hey, you know, what can I do? Stella's upset. She's looking at pushing back the lieutenant's exam. Um, I love, A, how, like, Kylie was not intimidated to go talk to Kelly at all. I thought about that, too. Like, normally, I was like, oh, this is a nice, refreshing change of pace with, like, a scene between the two of them. But I thought that, too, that I was like, oh, she's just going straight up to him. I love it. I love it. She's not afraid at all. And also, Kelly was like, yeah, of course you can talk to me. Like, what's up? Yeah. I loved it. I loved it, too. Yeah, I just, I really love that. And, but the minute she's like, Stella wants to skip the lieutenant's exam, his face is like, oh, fuck. When he's like, wait, hold up. 
say that again? Like, mm-hmm. did I hear you right? And she's like, yeah, I thought you would have known and you would have talked about it. And he, and she's like, did I overstep? And he's like, no, 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 you're fine. I promise. I love it. I love it. I love all of it. Okay. So Severide shows up at breaths to talk to Stella and they have like the best conversation. You don't well, need my help. You have to know that. Of course I know I don't need your help with some test. I needed you to do what you do best to tell me you got this Stella kid and to pick me up when I'm feeling low. And instead, you shut down on me. You shut down on me. Like the battle days. This attitude of yours is exactly why I know you got this, Stella kid. Oh my God. I loved everything about this. I, yeah, I I loved it too. Um, I had a moment though, when he was like this attitude of yours and then the pause, I was like, no, no. And then he filled it in. I was like, okay, that was good. That was good. And the callback to you got this Stella kid. I was like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I, I, when he said that too, about the attitude, I was like, oh fuck. I was like, Kelly, what are you doing? Do am I going to have to stop standing Severide? But I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. Like good, nice move there. Directors, writers with a little pause. Good job. Also, I think we need You Got This Stella Kid on a t-shirt. You got this, Brenda Kramer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah. I also just love that Stella turned it around and she, like, because he was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to, never going to let you go away from me again. And she's like, you don't get to decide. And even when she said that, I was going to be like, oh, crap, this is not going to end well. We're going to end on a cliffhanger, blah, blah, blah. And she was like so pretty soon we're gonna be in the same rank so listen up uh and she was like i'm the one who's never gonna let you get away and i was like yes that was the resolution we all needed thank god and like don't ever fucking do that again kelly come on right if you're gonna fight please make up within one episode's time that's all i'm asking yes if you fight at the end of one episode you have until the end of the next episode to make up i'm okay with that i can survive but Um, even that's being generous we want to clear it up in act one thanks right yeah i'm just saying i'll give you until the end of the next episode but like no more than that please yeah 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 i loved everything about that i loved how she was like i don't need your support i just needed you to like be there well, and the thing that I also love too is how she was talking about, you know, she's like, I didn't become a firefighter as like a white guy with my father at the top of the chain. She's like, I came up alone fighting every step of the way. And it kind of reminded me of what uh, Miranda was talking about um, when we interviewed her about how, you know, Stella's gone through all this stuff with Grant and like everything that she's gone through has made her who she is Mm -hmm. and she you know she recognizes that obviously she doesn't let that get in the way she doesn't let that fall the wayside because of her relationship and so I like that that was part of it this too I feel like I'd be friends with Stella yeah me too like IRL in real life yeah I this if I did if I was like wishy-washy on Stella kid this scene would have like sealed the deal could you imagine Stella in our group chat with all of our ATX friends? <laughs> She'd be like life of the party. I feel like Stella and Janelle would be like BFFs. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. Okay, so uh, if you guys have never ever listened to the Sipping Sisters podcast, this is who we're talking about. Um, the Sipping Sisters, it's it's three women. They're all sisters. It's Janelle, Rachel, and Jackie. We're good friends with them. We love them so, so much. Um, and if you ever listen to it, I mean, Janelle and Stella would be like, yeah 
Janelle and Stella would be like BFFs. <laughs> they really would. They really would. So <laughs> go listen to them. They are the most wonderful ladies. We love them so, so much. And yeah. we cannot wait for the day that we can travel again so we can go visit them in Southern California. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> we love them. Okay. So, I mean, Stella Ride, like, yes, perfect. Perfect. So, moving into our little ray of sunshine, little Blake Gallo. Oh, I know. Sweet little baby cinnamon roll Gallo. Yeah. <sighs> Brenna, take it away. Okay. So at the beginning of the episode, all of 51 is called to a gas station where this like car crash happened. But of course there's free flowing gasoline. So it becomes a much bigger issue. Of course there is. Of course there is. Yeah. Anyway. So Casey sends Gallo inside to find the cutoff valve. And when he's going there, he notices a girl lying under the ground on the ground under the canopy that not everyone, not the rest of 51 hadn't seen. Um, so sparks of course start flying from the pub and Casey tells everyone keyword everyone <laughs> to fall back but Gallo instead flies under the canopy to ultimately save the girl and like then it spider-man just like yeah yeah and that's like the cold open and then we come back and Mouch is like well how the fuck did you do that <laughs> he's like I did and Gallo's like oh it's nothing and Mouch is like no seriously how the fuck did you do that and at the end of the call, like Casey even sees Gallo's victim, like at the ambo, and he's like, "Who's that?" And Mackie's like, "Oh yeah, Gallo saved her." And yeah, Casey's like, "Okay." Mackie's like the gif of the animaniac with like the hard eyes, like mm-hmm. the whole episode, and we don't blame her. Uh, no, we Mm-mm. will get there. Nope. We will get there. Um, but anyway, so once they all get back to the firehouse, like Mackie won't stop pestering Gallo to tell the story of how he saved that girl. And so Gallo ends up reluctantly telling it and Casey overhears him and asks to talk to him in the hallway. And then we get the return of Captain Casey. Diving in headfirst wasn't your only option. Forget how to use a radio, report your situation, call for backup. Okay, with all due respect, Captain, you knew I was quick to act when you hired me. That's why you hired me. And I think I deserve the benefit of the doubt here. I mean, I was operating with information you wouldn't have. Go home. What? Pack up and go home. Okay, but like you can't speak to your dad slash mentor slash boss <laughs> like that. No, and I, yeah, Gallo, Gallo was definitely a little bit out of line too. But like again, Casey's feelings aren't only solely about Gallo, and that's no. the issue. He is projecting. Um, but yeah, when Gallo's like, with all due respect, Captain, I was like, oh, okay, stop, yeah. stop oh, it right there, Gallo. Yeah. Just, nope. Um, and he's like, and I think I deserve the benefit of the doubt. I was like, why? I was like, you're putting your foot in your mouth. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah, I deserve the benefit. Oh, just stop talking. Stop talking. The thing that got me, though, is when Casey says, he's like, I can't be your babysitter, Gallo. I was like, yeah, because you're his dad. Don't. Yeah, you're not his babysitter. <laughs> you're his dad. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh, no. I was like, oh, Captain Casey has returned. Yeah, but like he wasn't completely out of line this time. No, 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 no. It wasn't like the same level of Captain Casey, but Captain Casey did return. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Gallo gets sent home. And yeah. So Mackie feels really guilty about Gallo being sent home because she's like, I, she's telling Brett and the Ambo later, she's like, you know, I made him tell the story in the common room and Brett's like, no, he had it coming. Like, it, clearly he had it coming. Mm-hmm. So 
Casey goes to see Severide on the average floor and asks him like if he thinks he handled the whole gala thing the right way. And Severide's just like, you know, save like that, I might let it slide, but it's your call. Like I wouldn't take your guess yourself, which is exactly what Casey does. I love these two best friends just like talking each other up when they need it. It's the best romance. It is the best romance. That's so good. Um, so Mackie goes to Gala's place after she leaves Molly's that night to check on him. And she just like can't help but flirt. She's like, I know how nervous you get when I'm within reach. And I'm like, oh girl. Oh my god. Girl. Like, it was so good. The only thing, the only bone I have to pick with this is that we didn't get a kiss. Yes. <laughs> I had the same thought. I literally had to rewatch it like 10 times. I was like, wait, so we didn't get a kiss? I, yeah, I too was like, damn it. Like I, I had like their first kiss in my head. It was going to be perfect. Yeah. I, I'm like, that makes me sad. Okay. But also like, that was fucking cute. It was really cute. Just like her little <laughs> smile and he like spun her around. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm so here for this. Oh my God. That's really cute. Um, also so so again Brenda watched this one before me she watched fire before me she texted me and she's <laughs> like you need to watch this right away like our dreams come true so listen I hear our dreams come true and I the first thing I think is like hey, well, what's like the number one thing that like we want to happen so I text her back I'm like you are not telling me that Peter Mills came back this episode are you <laughs> and she's just like no like never mind never mind for a second there I was, I was like, like yeah I don't remember how I worded it but it was definitely I was like yeah no not that there was a good five seconds where I was like, these bitches, they snuck Charlie Barnett back into Chicago. They got him on the show and didn't tell anybody. Yeah, I was like, no, not those dreams. I was like, it has to do with our two newest characters. And, and then I was like, all right, I got it. I was like, yeah, just leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so then we get not only that, but we also get a little bit of the morning after too. In the same episode amazing amazing and we're also blessed with shirtless gallo which we've seen before but it's always good to see again he's just so cute i just i love them i know i I love them too i love them too anyway so gallo's they're talking about you know the day and gallo's like yeah i'm heading into 51 whether casey wants me casey wants me to or not and he's like, got to do whatever it takes to make things right. And she's like, see, that's why we're so good together. Because when it matters, we give it all we got. And at first, I'm like, oh, man, that's so cute. And then he's like, see, I thought it was the crazy chemistry. And I'm like, I, I think I'm dead. I think I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, see, I think I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. And also in the scene before Mackie ends up leaving, they decide that their relationship is no rules, just fun. Except Cruz can't know that's gallo's like only rule but then gallo himself ends up blowing it up in the locker room later on at the end of the episode that was like the best reveal it was just so well executed it was so good um but yeah so the episode really ends and at the very end and casey joins gallo for a beer and explains that like he's been out of sorts lately um and gallo's like you know it's okay and yeah This isn't an apology. Right, of course. The fact is, Gallo, I'm your captain. I'm answerable for your safety. Losing a firefighter is the worst thing that can happen to an officer. I would know. 
If anything had happened to you under that canopy, I wouldn't have even known you were there. I couldn't have done anything to help you. You robbed me my accountability. And that can't happen again. He's such a dad. He is. But I love that they wrapped it up this way. Like, I thought that was, like, the perfect way to wrap it up. <laughs> I love you, son. I love you, dad. Well, because it also, like, explained why he had to be as harsh as he was, mm-hmm. but also still showed that, like, he's human. And there is some, like, human level, or there is some human elements to his reasoning, too. Yeah. Yeah. So There is. It's just like with Ethan. Like, you know, it, it's, it's hard being in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, Gallo. And they, they fucked up. It's amazing. We live in a world where this has finally happened. I know. I thought it was going to take us a lot longer to get there. I love it. I just hope it stays. No rules just for fun. Like, don't get complicated. Well, it's going to get complicated because, you know, Violet's coming back. Oh, that's right. God, I, I still don't want to choose. I didn't want to choose when we first heard about it. I still don't want to choose now. I don't either. Dang it. I just I like, love them both. I want them to be, I guess, like... Well, this is going to be like a weird, like sister wives. Like I want like Gallo to be with Violet and like have that relationship, but then like Gallo to go be with Matt. You know what I'm saying? You like want I want them them to move to Utah together. <laughs> this is the only way, like the only analogy I could come up with to like keep them both, both ships. So you you want Blake to be into polyamory? No, it doesn't work. I was just making a point. That's I get it I though. Get. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Just yeah, but if they're if if Blake and Gianna are just for fun, then that means Blake and Violet can still be just for fun. He can date more than one person if it's just for fun, air quotes. Yeah. And I mean, who's uh, well, I'm not even gonna go there. God, it's not like a it's like there. a mini bachelor inside the Chicago Fire. Like Gianna, will you accept this rose? Yes, of course I will. Violet, <laughs> will you accept this rose? Because ah, that's Violet. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so that is Gallo and his dad, Casey. <laughs> okay, so we also got some Brett and Mackie action in this one. Um, they basically, they get called to a park and there's a girl who's having a seizure and they get there and she comes to like pretty quickly and then they're both just like, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. Like, I'm good. Never mind. So they get, they get called to another call where this guy has just like the most ridiculous gash I've like ever seen in my life. That was graphic. That was really, I, yeah. yeah. Did not want to have to watch that. Um, P.S. though, if you don't follow the special effects guy on Instagram, get on it. Um, it's amazing. Like just reading into the process of like what they do and how they make it look so realistic. I mean, Brian and I are nerds for the process of how everything gets made, which you guys know. So uh, there's just... Yeah, there's a lot of hard work that goes in outside of what we see on TV. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it's pretty interesting. So uh, this guy's got a, a ridiculous gash in his leg. Like, it's crazy. So Brett gives him fentanyl and it does nothing. And fentanyl's like Strong shit. Yeah. Strong shit. Yeah. Um, it's the stuff that like in like the early seasons of med Noah opened some bag or something and it was fentanyl and Noah was like everybody get out this is really really bad um but like nothing's happening and so she pretty much gives him like the maximum dose which is like 100 milligrams and Brett's like you should be pretty woozy by now nothing so one of the paramedic chiefs stops by at the end of the shift and he talks to Brett and Bowden and he's like he had saline there was no fentanyl in his system like it's not what happened. 
And so he goes like zero to a hundred and he just accuses Mackie like right off the bat. Hello, hi, what the hell? Yeah, I was like, that's a little extreme. Yeah, that's pretty fucked. Um, but Brent and Bonin are both like, no, back it up. We will cut you. Try again. So at Molly's that night, Cruz mentions um, there's a Rafferty reference. Like, hey, hey, yeah, love a callback. Like, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So Cruz mentions how Rafferty told him once about a junkie stealing needles out of their bag. And so they piece two and two together and they're like, it's the girl and the boyfriend. So they visit the 911 operator. They try to pass it back, but you know, they're, they're kind of crafty. So the couple basically has a passerby call 911 so they can't trace it. And they are basically out and about and they get another call and they're like, okay, this sounds like really familiar. This is what's going on. So they roll up to the call and they're like, Hey, other medics, like they're scamming you. Don't even like, don't, don't do anything. And the couple's like, no, like we're leaving, we're leaving. Well, PD rolls up and they find like, Hey, we got scammed. So that ended well. Um, but at the end we get a nice moment with Mackie and Brett and Mackie thanks Sylvie for having her back. And Sylvie just says, she's like, of course more team. So they're family and I love it. Yeah. Love it. But then I also love too how they've like even though it's still clearly like mentor mentee mm-hmm. they've started to become friends because then Mackie's like well so you and Casey mm-hmm. and Brett's like yeah you know we had a brief complicated fling and I guess I was hurt to see how quickly he got over it even though I'm the one who told him to and she's just like honestly I want him to be happy that's such a Sylvie thing to say I know, but he would be happier with you. That's all I'm going to say, Sylvie. That's all I'm going to say. She's just so nice. Yeah, she really is. Yeah. So. She's a precious little ray of sunshine. She is. She's a precious little bean. Like, protect Sylvie Brett at all costs. At all costs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why, but the first thought to come to my head is, like, if we were to ever sort her newer Hogwarts house, Sylvie would be a Hufflepuff. I don't even, I know enough, but yeah. You're a Hufflepuff, but you know that. Yes, I know that. Yeah. Everybody tells me that. Even though you have no idea what it means. Not really. It's not a bad thing. No, I know. But yeah. (laughs) So last up is the Mouch and Cruz and Herman storyline. Okay, listen, I need to know who's been coming up with these comedy storylines lately because they have been like A++++. I know. I can't believe we already did our like top 10 comedy storylines episode recently because this like everyone this season has been like Oh yeah, that's top ten worthy. Oh no, this is top ten worthy. I think the donut, the donut one would crack the top ten, but then I think this one would even place above that. Oh, see, I think I I flip them. I think, but yes, definitely. No, I died at this one. I thought this one was hysterical. It's so okay. funny though. Take it away. Okay, so Herman and Cruz are sitting at the table in the common room, and Herman's like, "So when are you going to tell people about Chloe being pregnant?" And Cruz is like, "Well, you know, we're being extra careful, blah blah blah." And then Match approaches, approaches, so all conversation stops, and Match is like, "You guys are talking about me, right?" And they're like, "No, we're not." Um, but he does, still doesn't believe them. So then Match even goes so far as to like stop Cruz in the hallway. And he's like, I know what you guys are talking about. And Mouch is just like, if you saw it, say it to my face. <laughs> and Cruz is like, the fuck? <laughs> like, what are you actually talking about? And so 
Cruz and Herman are theorizing in the common room about like Mouch's comment when like Ritter comes over and then Herman and Cruz end up guilting Ritter into asking Mouch like what's going on my favorite thing though is like Herman trying to convince Ritter like yeah. I thought that was so funny he's like oh so you're saying you don't even care about your mentor and blah blah, <laughs> blah. it's just David Eigenberg's delivery for comedy is just it's so good it's so it's good so good and I just love how Ritter's like I know better I'm staying out of this and then Herman's like oh no like you're you're doing this yeah so Herman tries to do this at Molly's like the next night but it really doesn't go anywhere and like Match is like kind of semi on to him and Ritter's like yeah I'm just gonna go now it's so awkward it's so funny though so what's up (laughs) oh god um so mouch sees Cruz and herman again whispering in the locker room after shift and he's like okay you know i know what you're talking about i swear and apparently he lost a bet and had to get trudy's name tattooed on his ass so he literally moons them and shows them all and they're like yeah we didn't know that amazing it's so good that's also definitely something trudy would put him up to Oh my God. Yes. And like get sick joy out of it too. It's so good though. (laughs) Joe's like, I did not need to see that. Oh, so that's not where I thought this was going at all. When I was watching this for the first time, I was like, what? It was perfect. Excellent. Excellent. Trudy's probably like, she probably told that to Void. She probably told Void about it and then like didn't mean to, but she was like, she's probably like talking to Void about something. And she's like, yeah, and Randall got his, my name tattooed on his ass because he lost a bet and like awkward pause. And then oh Trudy's God. just like, never mind. Yeah, but no, excellent, excellent comedy storyline. So good. I love it so much. I love it so much. Yeah. Oh man. Any other thoughts on fire? No, but I loved, I I really liked this episode. This was a really good episode. I really enjoyed it. I really really liked this episode. Moving into PD. Okay, so this was, we haven't had one of these episodes in a while. And by one of those episodes, I mean, it's 100% case. All case, all the time. Mm -hmm. I usually don't like these episodes, but I didn't hate this one. It's fine. It's but fine. I noticed the fact that it didn't have case, it didn't have personal because we've gotten so much personal this year, mm-hmm. um, which is great because I love the personal and I don't care for the cases as evident by the fact that last week's episode, we were like, yeah, we're not even going to talk about the case. Who cares about the case? Um, yeah, I, it was fine. I like, I didn't think there was anything special about this episode. It was just like a, I left my, I, I found myself more asking why towards the end uh you know yeah we'll get to the end i have the end i why a j episode why now and why this that exactly i'm not complaining i love me some j we all know that and for the first 95 percent of the episode was like oh this is so filler like this is silly like what are we doing and then we get to the end and there's like that big j and voight conversation and i was like huh yeah. Okay. So, th- so this episode was written by, I think it was Daniel Arkin was the name. I didn't recognize this name. This must be a new writer in the writer's room. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't really pay attention, but I mean, yeah, no, it wasn't a bad episode. The case was crafted very well. It was just kind of, I, I was just kind of scratching my head of just like, why? It was fine. It was fine. It and was fine. I'm, I'm never going to complain about a J episode and Jesse knocked it out of the park. Just like he always does. Yeah. I thought, it, 
again, I thought it was fine. Like, it's fine. Oh my God. You know who had big time Severide eyes tonight? Jay. Yeah. Big time Severide eyes. He was looking real good this week. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So, I mean, like, we're going to get into the details, but we're not going to, like, get into the details. It's going to be a mix of, like, glossing over them because, I mean, this was a pretty dense, case heavy episode. Okay. So, the main things you need to know here Jay's got a CI. They're looking for drugs, right? They're looking for drugs. He's got a CI. And when they breach the facility, they find a guy who they think is a drug runner, but really he is a father who is trying to find out who killed his son. So he's not a cop. He just put himself under with this crew to find out who did it. Because smart the cops you didn't me. What? I mean, like, not smart because you got yourself involved in a huge drug operation, but like, I don't think I would have thought to go there if I were in his shoes. I think this is maybe where our privilege comes into play because he tells Jay that, you know, the cops did nothing. They didn't do a damn thing. It was just another black kid and they just stepped right over him and moved on. Mm -hmm. And so I think this might be one of our blind spots um, where, you know, we're just like, well, why would you do that? But we, we don't know. No, no, I, not that, not that why would you do that? I totally understand why he did it i just don't think i would have thought to like if i put myself in his shoes i don't even think i would have been like oh yeah like i should go be the one to go try to solve my you know son's murder yeah yeah um yeah and so the the guy just explains he's like you know i'm i'm trying to find out who killed my son my son died on july 5th nothing has been done about it like the police don't think a damn thing you know they never did anything about it they just step over him and move along and i think this reveals a little bit of jay's blind spot too because jay is like doubtful Mm -hmm. and when the guy's in the interrogation room and jay's asking him questions and he's like the cops didn't do anything jay almost doesn't believe him yeah yeah um, so, so I, I think this definitely reveals one of his blind spots as well. And so, uh, basically the, the dad, his name is Latrell. He's fixated on this silver car because I mean, he's not a detective, right? So he doesn't know what details to look for. He's just going purely on instinct. And so all he knows is that the night his son died, there was a silver car. So he's just fixated on that. And Jay is like, so you're really doing this to find your son's killer. Like he's just very doubtful um but no Latrell's like I'm doing whatever the hell I have to do like this is gonna happen so they vet him and finally they're just like okay we're on board we believe you like this is what's happening because basically they tell him they're like you're gonna go in for the drug running like you still did something bad even though you're trying to find who killed your son but Voight tells him Voight's like you have to work with us and then we can like wipe your record clean completely so they start investigating. They go see this guy at Homicide, who like Jay's friends with. This is some detective at Homicide. Jay's buddies with him. And he just says, he's like, you know, this was probably just a gang dispute that escalated. Like, it's probably nothing. And he says, he's like, I feel bad for the man, but we did what we could. Like, we exhausted all credible leads. And Jay's just like, okay, cool, friend. Awesome. And so back at the district, they talk to Latrell and they convince him to work with them. And so Latrell takes Jay to do an undercover buy with this guy K-Mac and K-Mac's a big player in like is it a gang or is it just like a a drug crew no I think it's a gang okay so K-Mac's a heavy player and so they take him to do this undercover buy uh you know Jay is doing his thing I actually thought that he was gonna be like this is my buddy Ryan I thought we were gonna get like Jay's undercover personality right but yeah they were like no this is Jay and I was like huh 
not nearly as fun as Ryan, but okay. <laughs> Fine. Um, I remember on the show Graceland, though, that they were always they were always allowed to use their real first names. Yeah, but I feel like at this point, if you were using Ryan, stick with Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen Graceland? You need to watch Graceland. Um, I think I saw the pilot way back in the day, like when it was like free on iTunes and I watch it. I think it's on Netflix now. Aaron Tveit's in it. Yes, I know. And uh, Sarinda Swan, who played and Kelly's like second wife. <laughs> Daniel Sunjata and yeah. Yeah. Is it um, Manny? Manny, yeah, Manny uh, Jacinto? No, that's Good Place. Uh, Manny Montana. Mm-hmm, from the yeah. Good Place, or from Good Girls. Yep, yep. And, and it's funny how he's Rio from Good Girls for everybody else. To me, I'm like, no, he's from Graceland. Oh my God. If you haven't seen Good Girls, though, it's- oh I've God. seen it. I just never really got into it. Oh my God. It's so good. I don't know how you didn't. I don't know. It's so good. <laughs> Okay, so they do the undercover buy, and Jay is just, like, you know, doing his thing. Dante pulls up. Dante's the leader of this crew. He pulls up in the silver car, and Latrell damn near blows it. Um, Because he's just like, well, when did you ride up with the new whip? Like, when did this happen? And Jay is just like, can you please, like, keep it together? Oh, my God. Um, So the deal falls apart, but Latrell's like, no, like, Dante killed my son. Like, that's this. That's that. And Jay is like, you almost killed the deal. Like, what What the fuck? Like, what, what are, are you doing? doing? Yeah. So back at the district, Jay tells Voight that the car belonged to Dante back when Latrell's son was killed. And so Jay is like, dude, like, Hank, like, if we can't get him for the drugs, let's get him for the murder. Makes perfect sense to me. I mean, yeah, two birds with one stone. Right, at least he's going to go away for good. Yeah, big time. And then there's this interesting exchange between Voight and Jay. And so Voight's like, why are you doing this? And Jay says, because that guy's hurting and he just needs answers so he can move on with his life. And we can all relate to that. What are we getting at right now? And there's a, okay, so that line and the line we get in like the big conversation at the end i was like is that a dig at point for the justin stuff well i wasn't even thinking about it from that i was thinking about it from jay's point of view i was like jay for the first time in like a bajillion seasons things are good yeah i mean good being a relative term but yeah but no i was like my first thought was like so are we trying to like throw a dig back to like end of season three beginning to season four like maybe not even that maybe the kelton stuff too because remember jay thought boy killed him jay thought boy's done a lot of shit uh i can't blame him yeah I don't know. I think more just, I was thinking about it, Justin, specifically because of the father-son stuff. Well, and after he said that too, and he was like, we can all relate to that. The camera panned right to the picture of Voight and Justin. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Hi, Justin Voight. Long time to talk about. But why now? Why, why is, why is this coming from Jay? And why is it coming from Jay now? Exactly my point. I don't, yeah, I don't understand this episode. Yeah, and I mean, if I think maybe he's got some unresolved stuff from the Marcus West case, but that's going to, I think that's going to carry, that's going to go with him for the rest of his life. But we haven't heard them talk about that case in so long. I don't, I mean, like, I'm not saying that that's not true, and I'm sure it is, but, like, not in this canon, it's not. Frankly, if they never talk about the Marcus West case again, my nerves will appreciate it. But, you know, what I'm saying is, like, I don't think, I agree that I'm, you know, as, like, fans that like to dissect every little single part of all these characters yes i agree with that 
in this canon. I don't think it is though. Yeah, it's 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 odd. I'm 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 all for it. I'm like, yes, you've got my attention. I am tracking, but it's odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Void agrees to take the case, but like Jay's not hurting right now. I mean, like you know, not like explicitly hurting right now. I don't know. I d- yeah yeah doesn't make sense to me. So the Upsteads they go to visit Latrell and. All he wants to do is admit that his son was a good kid and was not in a gang. And he finally admits that, like, fine, I found some money in my son's room one night. He was cleaning up. I don't know how he got it. So they go talk to the guy who's working the corner for Dante, that corner where his son was killed. There's somebody from Dante's crew that's working it. And so he basically tells them that Latrell's son was working the corner market. So they go to the market and it's completely innocent. Latrell's son was working there to save money to buy his dad an air conditioning unit. Hmm. Totally innocent. Um, But she also says like the night he was murdered, he ran after this girl, Erica, with an umbrella so she wouldn't get wet. And she told all of this to the police, but nobody ever called her back. So this is when Upstead goes back to the uh, homicide detective and I, I think Jay gets a rude awakening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jay's like, what the hell did you do? Like, why did you sit on this? And he's like, I should have called, but the gang cases get low priority. My God. Um, and he says, after a week or so, we move on. We don't chase rainbows. We chase cases we can actually solve. Yeah. We can talk until we're blue in the face about how the system is broken. Yeah, I was about to say, and that is the problem with our justice system and but jay is jay is being such an idealist in this moment which again i mean there's nothing wrong with being an idealist i think we should all be idealists to, for the sake of like hoping for a better world but he knows he knows how things work that's what i don't understand is like you've been in the intelligence unit now for eight years shit <laughs> yeah i know crazy it's an eight seasons um but like you've been in intelligence for eight years. Mm-hmm. How do you not like, how do you not understand this? And like, what, like, what about that is not sinking into you right now? Yeah, I think, I think sometimes we all get that way where we're just like, just this once can things go right? Right. But like the way that Jay's acting, it makes it seem like he doesn't know that the system's broken when clearly he's known that. This is the same mindset that got him in trouble last season. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not bad. And I don't ever want it to go away, but he's got to be careful. Yeah, for sure. And I think there is like a fine line between wanting to help people, but also being realistic. Yeah. And I, I think he is right to get in the homicide detective's face. Yeah, I I see where it's coming from, too, because Jay pours everything he has into his job and he expects the same of everybody in the CPD. Right. No, I agree. And I think he was right to point it out to the detective and to get in his face and to, like, call out the detective's weak spots. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I like I think that was all important. I guess the thing that still confuses me is, like, why Jay is acting like he doesn't know the reality of the situation. That, that like, this happens. Yeah. Because it seems to me, again, after at least, you were in intelligence for eight years and then on, what, what was Jay on before this? He was undercover. Right. 
Guns and Gangs? No? He wasn't in Vice. Antonio was in Vice. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that like Jay's been on the point being Jay's been on the job for a long time. It mm-hmm. just kind of surprises me that he still seems shocked by this as like it, you know, new information. Yeah. I think maybe Jay is getting in his head a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Jesse, come on the podcast and answer these questions. Dang it. Please. Please. Yeah. So um, Upstead goes to try and find Erica. Only her mom is home. She's like, yeah, somebody came by looking for Erica, but he got upset and um, said that Erica was going to stay away for a few days. So um Voight and Ruzik go find Dante and this is how you know like you're in deep shit it's Voight and Ruzik mm-hmm. it's not the Upsteads it's not the Berziks it's Voight and Ruz mm-hmm. someone's about to get fucked up <laughs> Brian to take it from here okay so yeah they go to see Dante and ask him about Erica but he's like who's Erica I don't know her um they're also Again, because they're accusing Dante of having murdered Luttrell's son, but Dante's like, yeah, well, I was in Milwaukee the week of July 5th, so I didn't kill him. And yeah, so they end up finding Erica, and they bring her in for questioning, and Erica even says that, like, she's like, yeah, I heard gunshots that night, but, like, I didn't really see anything. Um, And they keep trying to, like, press her for more information, and she's not going to budge because apparently she's on patrol, and she's not even supposed to have been hanging out with those, the gang, uh, you know, K-Mac and Dante and whatever. And so she's like, yeah, I don't want to ruin my life. And he, she even says, she's like, you know, he was a good person, but he's gone. Like, and I'm not about to ruin my life or my mom's life to make the police happy. Yeah. Yeah. So intelligence ends up running Dante's alibi, and it holds up. Um, and they do end up running the text on Erica's phone and they find some interesting ones from July 5th and they all come from K-Mac's phone of all people. So Erica's actually dating K-Mac, not Dante, like they thought. Um, and so Latrell comes to see Jay and wants to know like why they haven't arrested Dante yet. And Jay just tells him, he's like, you know, we know who did it, even though we haven't arrested him, like we just don't have enough evidence yet. Um, and he also feels Latrell in on like why they think his son was killed over the fact that it was over a girl um and Latrell honestly just thanks get jay and i loved this scene i thought it was i really liked it yeah this um, is good and he just says you know like throughout this whole process like you've been the only cop that's treated me with any kind of respect and dignity and i appreciate that i think jay has grown a lot in the past year yeah um and so after they get more text between K-Mac and Erica, they finally end up going to arrest K-Mac. But when they go to arrest K-Mac, they end up finding his body instead. And the guy who shot him is like running away from the scene and gets in a blue Camaro. So they end up bringing in Dante for questioning because they're worried that he killed K-Mac. And he's like, I swear I didn't. Um but while that's happening, they're like, yeah, well, we still got to figure out, like, who was driving the blue Camaro if it's not Dante. So Jay's seen the footage a couple times, and he goes over to Latrell's garage and notices that the blue Camaro from that night is sitting in the parking lot. And then Jay goes back to the district and, like, sees Voight and kind of confirms, like, what he saw. Tell me this. Why are you really here? Latrell shouldn't even be in this position. If Homicide did their job, 
if they found the killer. It's not a perfect system, Jack. I know it's not. But Latrell is a good guy. Mm -hmm. He loved this kid more than anything. He just couldn't let it go. He couldn't find closure. So he just went and he did what he thought he had to do. Which is something that I might do. Something that I'm thinking you might do too. We haven't seen a scene like this in a long time. In a really long time. A, yeah, a really long time. Like Voight and Jay haven't had a good heart to heart in like a long, long time. But also, what are we doing here? Exactly. What are we doing here? Yeah, no, it's totally a fair question. I don't understand. I I don't know. I don't understand the way this whole thing ended. So we're literally letting Latrell get away with murder. Yes? Yes. Yes, Jay let him get away with murder. And I don't understand. Huh. Like, I really don't understand. Huh. Because, yeah, okay, so basically, I guess let's finish it up and then we can have, like, our full conversation. So, Jay goes to see Latrell, and Jay starts talking about how, like, Latrell reminds him of his dad. And he's like, yeah, you know, he wasn't for much for praise or compliments, but he loved his sons and he wanted us to succeed more than anything. Wait, wait, so wait, hold the phone. That's not right. <laughs> yeah, that's um, not canon either. He loved his sons. Yeah, okay. Wanted us to succeed. Let's see. He didn't want Will to become a doctor and he resented Jay for going to the military. Mm, nope. That ain't it. Yeah. And so Latrell's just like, yeah, you know, fathers and sons, it's a tricky dance. And then Jay literally straight up asks Latrell, he's like, so what'd you do with the gun? And it takes Latrell a second to admit it, but he's like, yeah, I tossed it in the river. And this is literally what Jay, Jay tells him. He's like, okay, good. All we got is the Camaro fleeing the scene. So you keep your mouth shut and ask for a lawyer. And then Jay takes Latrell outside the truck. He is in handcuffs, by the way. Latrell is in handcuffs. And then they drive off as Voight is, like, looking on from the distance. So this is interesting. This is almost like Jay creating his own code, like we had seen in past seasons with Voight and Antonio. Because he's Jay is going to go ahead and let the system take care of this. He's going to let justice do its thing but he's also saying okay like this is slightly how we game the system but how is he letting justice do its thing when he is keeping evidence i mean like i guess they don't really have evidence but like he knows that that was the car he's letting justice do its thing by arresting him right but he's also withholding the fact that Latrell just literally confessed to him that he threw the gun in the river. Jay did not want this guy to go away. I am not a hundred percent sure. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, he's he was a good guy who just he literally just wanted justice, and the cops weren't doing anything. It's here's the yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I had nothing important to say. It also just feels like a really weird episode to have happen in the midst of all the police reform storylines. I can see that. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like with Nicole Ari Parker's character. And like, I know we haven't seen Kevin in a hot second really, but like, it just feels like a really weird story. Like it feels like we took a couple steps forward with all the Nicole Ari Parker stuff. And then like, Oh, just kidding. We're going to have to go back to like having Jay protect this guy. I don't know. It just feels weird. 
It just feels weird. Yeah, it did feel weird. Um, and something else that feels weird is that we haven't mentioned Outwater this entire time because what are we doing? Why are we, why is he in the background? It's time for him literally. to come like, front and center again. Like literally the first scene is upset in Berzik. And I'm like, okay, and where's Kevin? Where's Kevin? Where is he? What's going on? Um, I, I'm just trying to figure out what message they're trying to send with this episode. Like, are they trying to show Jay being an ally? But that seems, I don't know. And, yeah. Yeah. That seems I, like a weird way to do it. Exactly. Like, oh yeah, I'm not going to let you go away for murder. But like, we're all good. I, I don't know. It just seems weird. I just, I, this episode is weird to me. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Like, I'm arresting you. I'm coughing you up to the system, but we're going to game it. So it looks like he did his part. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's Jay knows. And now I guess Voight, because Jay told Voight. But like, still. I'm and, and where is Jay's empathy for this guy coming from? Is it just coming from Jay being Jay? And the thing is, we're never going to know. Because we're going to get a new episode with a new case next week. And we're, we're, we're never going to know. You know the writers have us right where they want us right now, right? Mm-hmm. yeah yeah we're never gonna know this is why i hate the way pd does their episodes i do and don't like there we're not gonna follow up on this and you know like there was not even a mention of michaela tonight so like continuation is its own thing but i like that it's got us talking and i like that it's got us no, having these in-depth conversations that's yes yes that aside but like why can't you continue like I don't know the way the fact that they don't show like last week's episode was a whole thing we literally have not talked about Burgess or Ruzik or Michaela and then it doesn't sound like we are next week either and I, I just I don't know I don't like that it's not I don't I like continuation I mean yeah no I do too I mean I I, I didn't hate this episode I was like okay like I don't like the case heavy episodes but you got my attention I'm paying attention nope. I like, didn't nope this is probably my least favorite episode of the season and it's a Jay episode too. Yep. I did not like this episode. Jesse knocked it out of the park though, like he always does. Yeah, I thought Jesse was good. And I really I thought the guy who played Latrell was really good too. Really uh, good. Yeah. Uh, he posted um he posted a picture with Jesse on Insta the other day. Like they were both like smiling and it was oh, nice. I missed that completely. Uh, apparently he's been in a couple of things. I didn't recognize him, unfortunately, but he's 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 been in some things. Oh. I didn't even see that picture, so but yeah, I don't know. This is not my fave. We did get that one teeny tiny little upstead moment when she got in the truck like eating a candy bar or something and Jay gave her crap for it. But even that too, that was cute. That was really cute, by the way. But even then, okay, so where does upstead stand? And yeah, like that whole conversation, we haven't heard about that in like two episodes. I don't understand. I, just... I could yeah. see them being no rules, just fun, just like Blake and Gianna. Right, but I'm not even talking about that conversation. I'm talking about the conversation they had at the end of the episode that one time with Haley. Yeah, when her- she lied about her father. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And we don't know anything about that. Yeah, yeah, man. Also, what happened to Vanessa Rojas? They've let that go now for six episodes. That's a problem. Okay, that is a problem. How they have just, com- they took they took a Latinx character and erased her. Mm-hmm. Completely erased her. No explanation, nothing. But it follows the PD motto. It's not okay. Not saying it's okay because I think it's not, but 
that's what Phoebe does. They don't talk about things from one episode to the next. It's not okay. It really bothers me. It really, really bothers me. Yeah. So, any other notes about PD? No, I think that's it. We had a lot to say about this one. It was good. I didn't hate it. I thought it was good. And Jay Hall said, has Kelly separate eyes? I, not my fave. Um, it turns out other characters can have Kelly separate eyes. I just, like, I learned that <laughs> with this week. Um, I learned that in our interview with Jesse and Kara. My God, Jesse. Woo. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You learned that. Yeah. Beautiful blue eyes. Um, yeah, so that's about all we've got. You guys, like, you made it to the end of One Chicago Day. The very end of One Chicago Day. The very, very, very end. Good job. Congratulations. Um, what a day. What a day. It was a good day. A really good day. It was. It was, though. So um, you guys know where to find us. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all that good stuff. Um, if you want to see any particular gifts, like, let me know. Um, yeah. My, you know, my brain. I have some requests. Okay. I have some requests. Hit me up. You know where to find me. Um, <laughs> I pay you up now for, let's see. I need last week's Marcel and Natalie kiss. I need this. Can, week's I, can I request moment. that like you hit me up in person though? It, like makes me, makes you get on a plane and come see me. Cause like, I miss you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yes. I know. Yes. So, um, yeah, let me know if you've got any gift requests. Cause like my brain only does so many things, you know, you're like waving to the camera. What are you doing? I'm like, hi, me over here. Yeah. I have requests. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So if you like the show, which we really hope you do, because you've made it to the end of this episode after like a 12 plus hour day of one Chicago content. Uh, if you could please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, we would so greatly appreciate that. Um, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Bryna? I am at Bryna K13. Email us anytime about anything. It does not have to be one Chicago related. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. In the meantime, everybody go get some sleep. <laughs> we earned it. <laughs> It's, I'm definitely about to go get some sleep. I hear you there. So yeah, in the meantime, everybody, you know, wear a mask, be kind, take care of each other, all that good stuff. And just go to sleep, go to sleep. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye.